0: I was I was actually gonna call you yesterday just to like check on you, check on your mental health, see how you're doing after the news came out that you know the guy that you, the tight end whisperer, the the original founder of Darren Waller predicted Josh Oliver to be that guy this year after he broke his foot. So how are you doing? Like how are you feeling? You know, yeah. tough news.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough over here. Uh, as the listeners know, he was. One of my guys for 2020, we talked about him a couple episodes ago. Yeah, just heartbreaking, man. He's going to be out for, what, probably two or three months. Could potentially miss the whole season if there's any complications. And I guess that's been the story with Josh Oliver. He's never, you know, been healthy enough to produce on the football field as a pro athlete so far in his young career, which is tough, but... There's always a silver lining, all right? And that silver lining is, I think we found the next Darren Waller breakout season. And that player who will have that season, his name is Logan Thomas. I don't want to get too into detail about uh, Logan Thomas in this intro. But let's just say he's a big, fast, athletic tight end for the Washington football team. And the coach is absolutely love this guy he was the tight end or the backup tight end for the lions last season and then he was on the bills two years before that and has never really gotten an opportunity to be a team's number one tight end but the the measurables are there the opportunity is there with washington since they really have nobody on that offense besides terry mclaurin that you know will command targets so I think Logan Thomas has a good shot as an 18th rounder to be a top 24 tight end. I think he'll have a pretty good year.
0: I mean, usually 29-year-olds with 35 career receptions isn't like my vibe per se, but I will concede to you the tight end whisperer, and, and I'll, I'll trust you here.
1: I will. Yeah, I mean, the 29 years old is obviously concerning, but... You also have to dig a little deeper into Logan Thomas and, you know, recognize that he was a quarterback coming out of college and he tried to be a quarterback in the NFL for two years and then ended up switching to tight end. But that's all because, you know, his coaches forced him to be a quarterback in college at Virginia Tech when he was the number one tight end recruit coming out of high school in 2009. Fun fact. Um. Yeah, he ranked higher than guys like Zach Ertz and Tyler Eifert in that class of 2009. Crazy, right?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, So he never has really had a chance to play his natural position. And I guess, you know, if you draft Logan Thomas, you're just taking a shot on, you know, his measurables and the upside that he has in Washington, being the starter and ron Rivera has came out publicly and said that you know logan thomas is the guy he's the starter and they love his uh athletic ability so yeah just giving the listeners free gems late round gems should pay me
0: pour one out to josh oliver and raise our glass to logan thomas <laughs> What's going on everybody? Welcome to another episode of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host Ben Hover. As always, I'm going to be joined by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to be recapping our recent experience on underdog fantasy fantasy. Joey and I have done drafts and reviewed our experiences for just about every best ball platform out there this offseason. And we finally got around to looking at Underdog participating in a tournament draft. And we're going to give our thoughts on their platform and review the teams. But before we do that, Joey, can you tell the people how they can support the podcast?
1: As always, you could support the podcast by following us on our social medias, which is at the DFS DOS on Twitter and Instagram. And then obviously you can help support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes or Spotify or even following on SoundCloud or Podcast Addict. The podcast gets uploaded to basically pretty much every podcast hosting website that there is. So you can find us on all those at the DFS Dose. You can go ahead and look on the website, which Ben actually just published his new and updated rankings today at the DFS Dose Dot com And we're going to have, you know, a couple breakdown videos on his rankings on our YouTube channel, which is the DFS dose on YouTube. So go ahead and subscribe over there. Uh, but yeah, that's the best way to support us and a lot of content coming out. So just make sure you're following us uh, right now so you don't miss. Anything that, you know, we might post or or publish in the near future.
0: So much content coming. It's going to just be content after content for the next five months. So get ready for that. And and let's get into this podcast, though, real quick uh, before we get into underdog. Have you caught either of the first two episodes of this new season of Hard Knocks, the HBO uh, docu series covering the Chargers and Rams this this season?
1: No, I'm not. I'm not an avid uh, Hard Knocks watcher, so I can say I haven't.
0: All right, that's fair. I'll just talk to the listeners who who have seen it. Then you know, what I mean, first of all, I'm kind of on the same page as you. Like, I think for the most part, Hard Knocks is pretty boring. It's very repetitive. Like, once you've seen one season of Hard Knocks, you've seen every season. Like, it's always the same storyline, same same format, stuff like that. But this year, I think, like I just have to say, just watch this if you're a football fan you know, it's so different getting to like read about how the NFL is like handling COVID versus like getting an inside in-depth look at how two separate teams are handling it. It's just, it's really just amazing TV if you're an NFL fan and you're like interested in, in like current events. But I just wanted to bring up the one thing Chargers head coach, Anthony Lynn did. He, he had to cut this tight end. He's like the fifth string tight end for the Chargers or he was Andrew Valaire. and Valera comes into his office, like all charged up. He's like, yo, you got to be fucking kidding me. And Anthony Lynn's just staring there like, like super surprised, like, yo, what's going on? Like, I'm sorry, I have to cut you. And then afterwards it shows him and the GM of the Chargers talking and he's like, look, I liked his energy and all, but like, you're not Antonio Gates, my guy, like you got to go. It was just so savage and just, that's the kind of great stuff that, that hard knocks can give you at times. And I just wanted to shout that And I was watching it last night. Thought it was, thought it was really good, but, uh. Yeah, definitely would recommend watching this season if you're ever going to watch a season of Hard Knocks. Really unique stuff.
1: Might, might have to give it a try now that, now that you said that.
0: Absolutely worth watching. But let's uh, let's transition here and, and get to the main course of this show, Underdog Fantasy. Over the past couple episodes of the podcast, over the last two months really, we've done best ball drafts and tournament drafts on every platform. And now we've given Underdog a chance, and I've got to say, I'm pretty impressed with the platform as a whole. Uh, Joe, do you want to talk about your experience? Maybe before we get into the teams and the draft, you could just talk about the UI and how you uh, your initial reactions to using the platform.
1: Yeah, so I think Underdog did a really good job with the interface of their website. Uh, The lobby is really clean and easily accessible with the tournaments right on top for their uh large field GPPs. And then they have their uh, other best ball contests right below it. And then a feature that I found really useful is being able to go back and look at your team's draft boards. I know on some other sites, you can't do that. So I thought that was a really uh useful integration that they put in. And I just like the screen of how you can uh, go back and see your players ADPs and where you pick them. And then the team exposure and the bi-week exposure for your specific team in each contest. So all in all, I think Underdog did a very good job.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Definitely like being able to go back and look at the draft board. That was one of the things we talked about on the DraftKings recap that we were just super disappointed. Yeah, DraftKings with. is trash. At Od, I mean, we just is so tough for like creating content, like going back and looking at a draft like we're gonna do today. When you can't look back at the draft board and see who picked who where and do like some analysis. So at least Underdog was cognizant of that, which isn't surprising when you look at that. And you know, on Twitter a few weeks ago, they posted that graphic of all the people who are involved in their company, and it's guys like you know, Peter Jettings and, and Al Zeidenfeld over that guys like that, like who are actual players. So I'm sure that that went into it. You know, they they want to be driving things in a direction where people can create content, so that's cool. And yeah, the you mentioned like the end of the draft, like they do that little report that shows you you know, the specific teams you have exposure to and how many guys from each team. That's a unique feature that I definitely like a lot. And uh, a few other things like the color sliders is interesting. I I was like doing my first draft last night with you on there and like at the top, Under your name on the draft board, it'll show you the percentage of your team just in a color format, which kind of feels like an attack on me since I'm colorblind. But I'm sure for everybody else out there, it's very useful. Like all your running backs are green and you can see, you know, if you draft all running backs, your whole your whole thing will be green and and it just changes as the draft goes on and as you select different positions. So that's cool. The one thing I think they should add little constructive criticism underdog, you got to let us add a profile picture. You know, like we've all got these weird dog silhouettes as our pictures. Like, let me get my brand pop and get my Twitter profile on there. That's the one thing. But all in all, I think it's a phenomenal UI. So much better than DraftKings. Absolutely love it.
1: Yeah, and then I also like how, you know, you can obviously import your own rankings and then do that with the draft. But yeah, all in all, I I agree with everything that you said. And, yeah, they should definitely let us change a profile picture. But I could see why they would have the dog silhouettes as well. Yeah,
0: dog dog silhouettes are cool. It is cool. Let's talk about uh, the two main GPPs that Underdog is offering. There There are two big ones, the Best Ball Mania and then the Bubble. So the draft that Joey and I did that we're going to talk about in a second here was the Mania, which is a $1 million prize pool. It's a $25 entry, 150 entry max. The total field is about 43.2 thousand. And they offer two draft speeds, which I do like. You can either do them as slow drafts, four hours, or fast drafts, 30 seconds, like Joey and I did last night. 12 team drafts, 18 rounds with a four week playoff format, you know, pretty standard for a best ball tournament. You know, weeks one through 13 are regular season, and then it's playoffs in 14, 15, and 16. One really interesting, unique thing I think that uh, Underdog has done here is that It isn't just the person who wins the league that advances to week 14. It's actually the top two performers in each initial draft that move on. So that is definitely interesting. Um, And I think that it'll create some differentiation in terms of the playoff teams, because think about it like, you know, last year, if you were in a best ball tournament, basically every team that won their league was the team that drafted Lamar Jackson in the 10th round or whatever, right? So... You know, this time it'll get more differentiation um, in terms of top two teams getting in there and having a chance, um, which I definitely think is nice. Um, And then in terms of price structure, 200K to first, 100K to second, 50K to third. So that's major money up top. Definitely like that. And then the second tournament, the bubble is basically just a scaled down version of that. It's the same playoff structure, 18 rounds, 12 teams, same, same thing, except it's just a $5 entry, Uh 22.5 thousand field, 20 K to first, 10 to second, five to third. And, and all in all, I mean, these are really solid GPPs, the tournament that Joey and I participated in the mania 12-team, $25 draft. Joey, let's talk about some of the picks that stood out to us in this draft, and then we'll break down the two teams that we ended up with.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I've done a couple of underdog drafts so far, and there's always some interesting picks. Just for example, I know this was in this draft, but in one of the drafts, that I did, Jarek McKinnon went in the tenth round, which is very, very surprising to me. Uh, but some picks that stand out in this draft, I mean, Dawson Knox went in the 14th round, that's laughable.
0: I mean, at the at the at the top of the board, Josh Jacobs going at nine over Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake, Devontae Adams, like no shot. What is people's obsession with Josh Jacobs? Yes, underdog is 0.5 PPR. I will say that. So it's a little more justifiable, I guess, but I'm not drafting Josh Jacobs in the first two rounds, period, especially not ahead of guys like Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, and in half point PPR, Nick Chubb should be going ahead of him as well.
1: From what I've seen, you know, on Twitter and in the fantasy community, people love them some josh jacobs i mean i don't see the obsession with him i think he's a good running back but he provides no reception upside i guess that's mitigated with the half ppr like you said but yeah i can't see him going above guys like delvin cook joe mixon Kenyon drake even aaron jones austin eckler i i just don't see that i think that's just a terrible pick and then uh Leonard Fournette ended up being drafted in the end of the third round. I think that's a good pick. I think you drafted Jonathan Taylor a little above a little above ADP. That was surprising. That was surprising. I, I think that is one of the more surprising picks in the third round. And you took him above Chris Carson, James Conner, Le'Veon even Todd Gurley, which I know you've been drafting him, but yeah, explain that. 3.4, Jonathan Taylor.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I have him ranked ahead of Carson, Bell, and even Fournette, so I would definitely have no qualms with that. I think I actually have Gurley ranked ahead of Jonathan Taylor right now, but I just wanted to get a little bit different, and, you know, gunning for first in this thing, I don't really look at ADP as, like, a shackle, you know, like I'm going to break that occasionally and try and get a little weird and get unique. And I think that's important in large field GPPs like this. And Taylor has a ton of upside. Perhaps, uh, I was just feeling like I've been somewhat off Taylor, for the majority of the offseason, and I wanted to get some exposure. I've been seeing all the, the hype on Twitter about how explosive he's looking. And, you know, as my running back to behind Zeke, Um, you know, I was a big fan of it. I definitely was hoping that some of the receivers that went after him, Amari, Juju, Odell, A.J. Brown, Allen Robinson, you know, Robert Woods, Calvin Ridley, like I just thought that I could get one of those guys to come back to me, and they all went before I picked again in the fourth round. Uh, So I ended up having to settle for Terry McLaurin as my wide receiver one, which I don't hate. Perhaps I should have gone wide receiver there to get a wide receiver one. But, you know, you got to take risks in these things. And with half point PPR, especially, I like Jonathan Taylor as a third round pick.
1: Yeah, I, I like Jonathan Taylor, too. And I think if Marlon Mack gets injured, he immediately catapults himself as a top five fantasy running back. But even with Marlon Mack, I still think he is a solid pick. And then, in terms of me, I did something I never do. I drafted Lamar Jackson in the third round, so I went QB uh, high, first quarterback off the board. I took him, Lamar Jackson, the reigning NFL MVP, and then I got Mark Andrews in the fourth round to complete the Ravens stack. And you know, I, I think that's a, I think that's one of the best stacks. This season, Lamar to Mark Andrews, especially if Mark Andrews can improve on his 41% snap share, which is absolutely pathetic.
0: I like Mark Andrews in this format. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm on team Mark Andrews over Zach Ertz at, at this point, considering so much of his fantasy production, I should say, came from the touchdowns he scored opposed to the receptions. And it's a low volume, you know passing offense as it is, but you know, if we expect those passing numbers to come up in general for the Ravens and we expect Andrews to see more playing time like we do, I do think that he is still you know in shape to put a phenomenal season up so i I definitely don't hate that. and when you draft Lamar Jackson, then it's in it's an even better pick in the fourth round.
1: yeah, I would rank Zach Ertz above Andrews in full PPR formats, but in half PPR. I would put Mark Andrews above Zach Ertz, especially with Mark Andrews' touchdown upside in that offense. Um, He's really the only big-bodied pass catcher that Lamar Jackson has, and he's easily their best red zone threat where Lamar loves to target him. So I think uh, Mark Andrews over Zach Ertz on Underdog Fantasy.
0: He he was the only big body. I don't know if you've seen those pictures of Hollywood Brown getting jacked up, like put on like 25 pounds or something since his playing weight last season. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Definitely on that 4-5 turn right after you took Mark Andrews, you fully sniped me with Cooper Cup. I was very, very much hoping that he would make it back to me there. Um, Had to settle for DJ Chark there in the fifth round. Why don't we just talk about our two teams in totality since we're already here. Do you want to read off your team for the people?
1: Yeah, so I drafted from the two spot, and I will say underdog has been blessing with these early picks for me. I haven't had a pick worse than the fourth pick in uh, the drafts that I've done so far. Had the one one in my first ever underdog draft, so shout out to underdog fantasy for hooking me up. But yeah, I had the two pick in this draft. So obviously, I ended up with Saquon, and then I ended up getting DeAndre Hopkins at the end of the second round, which is always a great pick in my opinion. And then like I just talked about, I got Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews in the following rounds after that. Then I went three straight wide receivers to fill out my wide receiver core with Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, and Darius Slayton, all guys that me and Ben are high on this year. And then I ended up taking my tight end two in Tyler Higbee. And then I went three straight running backs, so kind of a a zero running back strategy, with Zach Moss, Alexander Madison, and Damian Harris. And then I ended up taking some shots on some younger receivers, as in Preston Williams, Justin Jefferson, and Denzel Mims. And then I completed my roster by taking Bryce Love, somebody who I'm high on now that Darius Geis is gone, Russell Gage philip rivers who we've been high on this entire off season and then with my 18th pick i took dan arnold but that pick should have been logan thomas and i will say i know we talked about it last night but i really didn't need to take two tight ends but i kind of just said F- it.
0: yeah I, I feel you the thing with me is like if i'm drafting one of the top four tight ends Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, or Ertz. I'm only taking two tight ends, and it's the same thing with quarterback, especially in an 18-round opposed to a 20-round draft where like those roster spots are more valuable. Basically, tier one, tier two quarterbacks and tier one tight ends, that'll limit the exposure for me uh, throughout the rest of the draft. Overall, though, I really like your team. I mean... Those first few rounds, it was just like value after value for you. You know, Hopkins at two eleven is crazy. Lamar Jackson still being available in the third, you know, Cooper Cup in the fifth. Like it was just value on value for you. So I absolutely loved your team, um, pretty much from start to finish.
1: Yeah, you were texting me saying how much you loved it. I mean, I have the best team in this league. Let's not get it twisted. But I do agree with, you know, your tight end speak that you just said with how I only should have taken two. But then again, I didn't need a third quarterback either because I have Lamar, right? So I, I was just like, all right, I'm just going to take a shot on a guy that could possibly score six, seven touchdowns this year, which we could talk about in a different episode. But yeah, Dan Arnold as my tight end three, didn't need one, ended up taking him. I was just like, screw it. I was, I'm was i going to be honest. I was doing another draft while I was doing this draft and I was trying to watch a movie. <laughs> so I was just like, all right, I'm just going to take Dan Arnold. Don't do that at home, uh, listeners. Pay attention to all of your picks.
0: What movie you was watching?
1: Project Power on Netflix. Pretty good movie. Just came out.
0: Cool, cool. All right, so my team, I ended up with uh, three quarterbacks, five running backs, eight receivers, two tight ends. And I kind of got off the board, like I took a lot of guys in this draft that I don't usually end up with, but I just kind of just felt myself getting weirder and weirder with some of the picks as things went on. So I stacked all three of my quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Dwayne Haskins. Uh, I drafted both Bengals receivers, Tyler Boyd and AJ Green to go with Joe Burrow. Uh, I had McLaurin to go with Haskins and Kittle was my second round pick to stack with Jimmy Garoppolo. Running back core, Zeke Elliott, Jonathan Taylor, Tevin Coleman, Jordan Howard, Kerryon Johnson. Five running backs with my first ten picks and just called it a day after that. And then, you know, filled out the roster, only drafted two tight ends, got Hunter Henry to go behind George Kittle. So that I mean, that's phenomenal right there. Top tier tight end production should be should be good all year. And wide receivers really where my team is shaky. After McLaurin, Chark, Boyd, and Green, I've got a pretty shaky back four in Brashad Perryman, Alshon Jeffrey, Kenny Stills, and then Kendrick Bourne as my final pick. Sort of a stack to go with uh, Jimmy G after the Debo Samuel injury and Jalen Hurd injury. You know, Bourne figures to have a pretty significant role, I think, at least to start the season with the 49ers. But, you know, how... How do you feel? Did you notice or were you just too taken uh, with Netflix and your other draft that I actually drafted Prashad Perryman ahead of Denzel Mims in this draft?
1: Yeah, I didn't see that originally. But then when I was looking over the draft board and all of your teams like right after the draft happened, I saw that you did that. And I was kind of shocked because I ended up getting Denzel Mims two rounds later. But I will say, I don't know if you saw the reports today. Brashad Perriman scored a 70-yard touchdown on a slant and absolutely dusted the defense. And apparently, he has looked like their best wide receiver in camp so far. So, personally, I like the pick. I think he should be included in your top five. And then your other receivers are shaky. Personally, that's my opinion. But, yeah, I think that's a good pick in the 13th round.
0: You see, kids, that's what we call adapting to new information. I could have just dug in with my Denzel Mims, take, you know, all offseason. And don't get me wrong, I'm still pro Mims. His measurables are still Chris Godwin-esque. I think he's a beast. I think that within time he'll be the best Jets receiver. But he suffered an injury and, you know, he's behind now in terms of camp. All the reports are that Perryman's been great. And, you know, just with these rookies missing time for injury in this offseason in particular, I think it's just going to set them back in such a serious way that, uh, you know, I I have officially moved Perryman up in terms of my best ball rankings as the first. Well, not the first, actually, Crowder's the first, but as the, uh, the, you know, late round value Jets wide receiver to target. So I I am now on team Perryman over Mims right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely the smart. You know, knowledgeable play.
0: Uh, before we get out of here, I did have a couple of more sort of general uh takes from this draft. A couple of picks that we didn't mention at the top that I wanted to bring up. Nicole Hardman going at 710 is just like a little bit crazy, in my opinion. Like, I want Hardman to be a thing as much as the next guy. I've been taking him. On some of the other sites, but like I'm willing to pay a ninth, tenth round price for Hardman as a guy who I think could be the number two wide receiver eventually in KC. But I mean, guys, Sammy Watkins is still there and should still be the number two. I mean, you can't you can't be just investing picks with value like seven, ten on guys like Hardman who right now you know report today is that he's still expected to be like the primary punt returner. So. Let's scale it back a little
1: bit. Yeah, there's a lot of love for McColl in the fantasy community in general. I mean, I'm not part of that. I, I don't think he's even worth a 10th or an 11th round pick as of right now behind Tyreek Hill, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Travis Kelsey, and Sammy Watkins. So he's probably going to be the fifth option on the Chiefs offense. So, I mean, personally, I'm not investing anything in McColl. I have zero shares of him. Across multiple sites. But yeah, that's just a laughable pick in the seventh round when we saw Jalen Rager go right after him.
0: Yeah, that's absurd. And-
1: Jalen Rager.
0: <laughs> yeah, g- like, give me Rager all day, all night.
1: Even guys like CeeDee Lamb, uh, Jamison Crowder, Sterling Shepard, John Brown. like All of those guys I would rather have over McCole Hardman. Uh, so just just a bad pick by Rumple's. Tumskin. Other than that, I will say the fifth round is probably the worst round in fantasy football.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
1: I don't know if that's a bold take or not, but when it comes down to like the fifth round and then you're sitting there with your running back options being Mark Ingram, David Montgomery, Ronald Jones, Tevin Coleman, Marlon Mack. No, thank you. And then the receivers, there's a clear cut teardrop off with the guys in round five. I mean, I ended up getting Cooper Cup in round five and DJ and you got DJ Chark, which are solid picks. But I think overall their ADPs are around like round four. So there there's kind of a teardrop off with the wide receivers with like Cortland Sutton, Hollywood Brown, Brandon Cooks, Deontay Johnson, all guys that we could see going the fifth round. So yeah, unpopular opinion from me is the fifth round is the worst round out of the top ten. For sure. Like I'm not, I'm never drafting a running back in the fifth round. Never. You will never catch me drafting Mark Ingram, David Montgomery, Ronald Jones, Devin Singletary in the fifth round. I'm sorry.
0: There are some viable round five running backs, but they all happen to go in the fourth round. Like David Johnson, if he happens to make it to the fifth, love that. Love uh, DeAndre Swift, who we're hearing out of Lions camp is just blowing it up as a pass catcher. I said it after the draft, he's going to be this year's Alvin Kamara. So, you know, if you can get him in the fifth round, I'm all about that. Kareem Hunt, even with his limited role in the Browns offense, has, you know, running back one overall upside if Chubb were ever to go down like him in the fifth. And then a handful of those wide receivers that you can usually get, like Metcalf or Lockett, uh, Chark, who I ended up with, cup sometimes will fall like like you saw in this draft. But definitely once you hit that mid-range mid, mid range of the fifth where you're looking at, like you said, the Montgomerys, the Ingrams, the Cortland-Suttons, yeah, no thank you. Those might as well be sixth or seventh round picks. So I definitely do like uh, having that top half of the draft draft slot just so that you might be able to get some guys who maybe should have gone in the fourth round fall to you in
1: the fifth yeah i'm surprised that you agree with me on that um so that that's good to hear and then just one more thing from me i know i've talked about it on twitter but antonio gibson in the seventh round in the seventh round above some running backs like tony pollard tevin coleman zach moss james white Carrion johnson even like i'm at a loss for words I I don't know what to say.
0: You don't think he's going to be Ron Rivera's new Christian McCaffrey?
1: No. (laughs) No. Antonio Gibson in the seventh round is laughable. I'm sorry. You will never catch me drafting Antonio Gibson in the seventh round. A player who came out of college with 70 career touches. A player that is transitioning from wide receiver to running back. And like I mentioned before, in one of the worst off seasons for rookies. With some already established running backs in Washington, I know he his profile is good. I know he's an electric player when he gets an opportunity. I just can't see him panning out as a viable fantasy asset in 2020. Like I tweeted this, but I'd rather draft Bryce Love, which I did in the 16th round, at the end of the 16th round, actually, than Antonio Gibson in the 7th round. Like, at least I know Bryce Love is capable of being an explosive rusher. He rushed for over 2,000 yards in one season at Stanford. He was a top three Heisman finisher before he tore his ACL at Stanford. He was Christian McCaffrey's running back mate at Stanford. Just give me all the Bryce Love. I'm sorry.
0: You know, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, especially now if Antonio Gibson is going to be like a fringe 7th, 8th round pick that Bryce Love is definitely the guy to target. I liked Gibson when he was going in like the 13th, 14th round when Geist was still a factor. Uh, definitely not taking him that high. Uh, you're just drafting him at his ceiling, I think, or maybe even a little bit above it for for this year. So definitely going to be a hard fade, although I will say it's interesting to hear somebody like you who, you know, constantly calls me a donkey for, for bringing up career stats, talk about how many, you know, you know snaps he took at running back or whatever, as if that's, you know, indicative of the situation he's going into. I just think that's funny, you know, considering no, you know, no. the arguments I, I that think, we've had about it. I you know? think,
1: no, you're right. Him transitioning to a running back from wide receiver, the position he played at Memphis is more of a factor than anything, and yeah, I brought up his career stats, but when you're a player who's only had 30 rushing attempts in their college career at the running back position, and then you're gonna try and become a full-time running back in the NFL, no shot, absolutely no shot, like, like, if you draft him in the seventh round, you're a donkey, I'm sorry, you're just a donkey, like, I want you in every single one of my drafts. All
0: right. You heard that, RKFD9383. Kind of sounds like a robot, but might be a real person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll be on Underdog all off season. We'll see you there. So I guess the final thing I wanted to bring up, and we can get out of here in a second, but I did want to just talk about stacking. And what I noticed in terms of the teams that did or didn't stack in this thing, um, you know, we've talked about stacking in just about every best ball show we have. It's a clear way to get an edge in these tournaments, especially when not every team is doing it. And, you know, I found some interesting stuff looking over this draft board in terms of who was and who wasn't stacking. So 30 quarterbacks got drafted, 13 of those quarterbacks, about 43% did not get stacked and then some of the ones that did get stacked were just you know egregious stacks like the only player that the brady drafter stacked him with was oj howard the only guy that the mahomes drafter stacked him with was byron pringle joey not travis kelsey or Nicole hardman or, or any of these guys but byron pringle
1: wait 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 byron pringle is getting drafted yeah <laughs> you they, you tell me there's not an edge in fantasy i show you this dude's team
0: that's what i'm saying but not even that like maybe this is just me and maybe i you know i'm closing in on 200 best ball drafts so like if i'm drafting one of the top six or seven quarterbacks i'm only doing it if i'm pairing them with one of the wide receivers so for example, the guy who drafted Deshaun Watson didn't have Fuller or Cooks. The guy who drafted Wilson didn't have Lockett or Metcalf. The guy who drafted Allen didn't have Diggs or John Brown. The guy who drafted Kyler didn't have Hopkins. It's like, what are you doing? Like, I understand that these quarterbacks are valuable, but you should be correlating your rosters in the sense that, okay, if Kyler Murray is going to have a league winning season, a season that this $25 investment can turn into 200 K by beating 43,000 other people in a fantasy tournament. Well, yeah, you know, it stands to reason that Hopkins is going to have a good season too. And just, I'm not going to be investing in high priced quarterbacks if I don't have, you know, other fantasy assets that are attached to them. Like I could have taken Dak Prescott in the sixth round or whatever it was. I was looking at him there, but my first two wide receivers were Terry McLaurin and DJ Chark. So that set me up perfectly to target specific quarterbacks later. And that's just kind of like a subconscious thing, like a thought process that I have in these drafts. Like, yeah, maybe Dak Prescott had more upside than AJ Green, who I picked in that spot instead. But it goes into correlating your lineups and you know realizing that every draft you're doing, if this is a draft that is going to be successful, this is how I should be drafting it. So I don't know. I just think that, that's just a lesson that some people should learn and try and incorporate into their future drafts.
1: Yeah, you heard it here first listeners, take Ben's advice, okay? Stack your teams, correlate your teams, and like Ben said, you know, draft picks ahead. Like you drafted Tyler Boyd and AJ Green and then you, you know, had it in the back of your mind like I'm getting Joe Burrow. You want to be doing that in every single one of your drafts. So if there's anything to take away from this podcast, listen to Ben. He's right. Correlate your teams, stack your teams, and sail to the money.
0: Appreciate that, bro. And that that's a fact. Sale to the money. And that's what we're going to be doing all throughout this coming NFL season. Make sure you stay tuned. We got a ton of episodes coming up. We're going to be doing some bonus episodes, doing some YouTube content. Got a lot of stuff coming on this channel so make sure you subscribe like joey said at the top of the show we're available on every podcast platform youtube instagram twitter everywhere just search the dfs dose we got that name on lock we're gonna come up if you search us we there we're everywhere on lock we're there you already know. So the dot and you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ben Hover, B E N H A U V E R. Joey, tell them where they can find you.
1: <coughs> you can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS.
0: All right guys. And we will be back next week with some YouTube content coming before that. Stay tuned.